fathers. Thank you. Thank you. I got to ask, and I'm going to ask every year until something happens. Lexus. Oh, look at that. There's no Harley guys out there. I choose. This, this is holy ground. And as the Lord instructed Moses, remove your sandals for you are walking on holy ground. I am being obedient in my own revolutionary renegade way. Uh, I want to give you guys an update. Is, is this working? The, the zucchini? Check, one, two, check. Is it on? Is it recording? It is. Okay, good. Okay. Uh, last week when William was here, um, he talked about cows. And he was the guy from Africa and, and Kenya, and uh, they were trying to raise money for cows. Uh, because milk is very important on, in, the, um, in their, their orphanage, and they also sell it, and it makes, it makes them money. It brings them income. Uh, unfortunately, he had made a mistake when he told us that the cows were $400 each. Uh, a milking cow, because you have to raise it to milking age, they're about almost $1,000. So um, out of your generosity, we were able to raise $2,000, and so we bought them two cows. And so I want to thank you all for, you know, digging in. You know, it always amazes me that at, at our church, it's just kind of a, hey, we have this need. And then cha-ching, there's, um, we thought we had five. We were like, I walked up to him like, five cows. He goes, I made a mistake. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that was the back half of the cow. The other half was the, another 500 bucks. So, um, so they, they, were, uh, they were very grateful. And he has gone back. To Africa, uh, his brothers are probably there now. And Mora, his wife, she is healing well. I talked to her. She's out of the nursing home. Uh, she's home. She's having um, physical therapy at home, and things are going well. July thirtieth, she's going to have her other hip replaced, and then hopefully in October she'll be able to get back to Africa. Um, it's a long time to be separated from her family and from her family there, and actually from William also, who doesn't think he's going to be able to get back here the whole time, so uh, you can keep them in prayer. And we're hoping to get her to come visit us right before she goes under the knife again, because that's probably the best she's going to be until they replace the other hip. Um, so, But we'll keep you posted on that. I'm going to pray, and then we will begin. Lord, I want to thank you for, I want to thank you for grace this morning and mercy, and uh, thank you for fatherhood. Pray a blessing, Lord, this morning on the dads here. That you would that you would continually reveal yourself to them. And then you would grow them and mold them and transform them into the fathers that you call them to be. God, I pray that they would be <clears throat> men of grace. They would be men of passion. They would be men of humility. I pray for all the, the young guys here that someday want to be dads. But I pray a blessing upon them that they would now learn what it means to be a father. 
Let their growing into that begin now. I pray for all those here that have lost their dads. I pray that today they would remember good memories. Pray for those who uh, maybe don't have the best relationship with their dad. I pray that they can find forgiveness and grace in their hearts. And I pray for reconciliation. And now, Lord, as we look into your word, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, would be acceptable in your sight. My rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, last we left Jonah. I mean, this story, this story is getting better and better for me. Whoa. See that? Woo, I didn't even touch the button. I am good, man. That's like dad mojo right there. You see that? I just put it up. So, so we left the story, um, and, and, and I've read chapter 4, and I've been going through chapter 4, and I really wanted to finish today, but it ain't going to happen. And, and there's a lot going on in chapter 4, and then I think we have to look at, because there's, there's always the moral of the story in the story. There's always things that we can glean from the story in the story. But then there's a reason, I think there's something much deeper than that, and that's what I want to kind of end on sometime down the road, and I don't really know how long it's going to take me to get there. I'm not very good at mapping out my sermons. I just go till I run out of paper and then stop, and sometimes that's a verse, sometimes it's a chapter. Uh, that's just kind of my method, and so I, I really thought I was going to get finished chapter four. We're going to make it through the first two verses, so yeah, not so much today, but the story just, the story is just um, evolving for me, and I'm, and I'm looking, and I'm listening, and I'm watching this whole thing unfold, and we left we left the Ninevites praying to God. All right, God has relented. God is not going to destroy Nineveh. I mean, not, not yet. Nineveh will be destroyed down, down in a bunch of years from now. But right now, they are safe. And we leave them kind of wrestling with this idea of who knows. Right? The king goes, okay, we're going to fast. We're going to pray. We're going to turn from our evil ways. And who knows, maybe, maybe God will not destroy us. Maybe we'll make it through this. Maybe we'll come out on the other end and we won't all be dead. But we know that the story, that, that God has relented, but we kind of left it hanging. And in the text, it really doesn't tell us that Nineveh knows. They're still in the who knows, in, but we know, but we're not really sure if, if they know. And so this has got to be a pretty intense time for them. Imagine Imagine if God showed up and said, Oasis, 40 more days and you're all going down. And we decided to repent and fast. That'd be a pretty tense 40 days, wouldn't it? I mean, there'd be some sweating going on. People would be closing out bank accounts. I would have a new Harley at least for 40 more days. And, and then I would have to change, you know, give it back in because I hope that God would relent. But, but you know what I mean? So, so we leave them hanging in this time. We know what's going to happen. And as we get into chapter 4, we're going to realize we know that Jonah also knows. And this is what it says. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He became angry. Jonah is angry that God has relented from destroying Nineveh. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So there we have it. 
The prophet knows the outcome. And it would seem that he knows while he's still in the city of Nineveh. He, God must have told him or he must have known something more or he's seeing the repenting of the entire city. And now he knows. And, you know, and, and he's, he's angry. And the word angry and the whole Hebrew gig and, and the way it kind of fleshes itself out, he's really mad, like white, hot, furious, mad that God would do such a thing. Now, what's interesting to me here is he's a Hebrew prophet, okay? So he would know, he knows about God. He knows about the history of his people. And so what God is doing here is fulfilling the promise to Abraham, spoken to Abraham, that said, through you, all, all nations are going to be blessed. And you would think that Jonah would kind of understand that and maybe be a little bit excited that he's actually taking part in God's plan, in God's promise, in God's covenant. But we don't see that at all. He thinks it's very wrong. In some translations, it says that he believes it's a great evil. And we have to ask, I mean, for me, I got to ask the question, why? It would seem that Jonah's got some issues going on. Not that, you know, any God followers would have any issues. But for Jonah, there's something going on here. Now, whether, whether it's completely his doing or not, I think he's wrestling with feeling a little bit foolish. With, like he's wrestling with being a, feeling a, a little bit stupid. He goes to Nineveh. Forty more days, Nineveh, and you will be overthrown. End of message. Yeah, not so much anymore. God has relented. And maybe he's feeling like he's going to look like a false prophet. Remember, he's coming, he's coming with a pretty good track record. He's 1-0 right now, and a really good one. Like, he, he, he prophesied something positive, and it happened. He's 1-0. He's living, he's living large, and now swinging a miss. He realizes that he got it wrong. He realizes he got or he interpreted his prophecy or the word of God wrong. And then he realizes that it was God's plan all along to save Nineveh. Like, almost like God's thoughts were above Jonah's thoughts. And God's ways are above Jonah's ways. And when he, get, when he understands that truth, when that truth becomes a reality, he gets angry. When it finally comes into focus for him, he becomes angry because it's not going the way he wanted it to go. It's not going the way he expected it to go. God is going to relent from killing enemies of his people. Really brutal, mean, ugly people. Not physically ugly, but inside ugly. Ugly people. And he's going to relent. It seems that he had a little hermeneutical error going on here when he interpreted the word of God. Now, I have maintained throughout my entire ministry, and I, until God shows me different, which I don't think he will, but he could, maybe. We're going to talk about that. I have maintained through my, throughout my whole ministry that no one just does what the Bible says. No one just follows the word of God. If that were the case then every man in here would have at least one eye gouged out. And I'm giving you all the benefit of the doubt on that one, okay? What we do, and I believe what we all do, 
whether, whatever denomination you're from, non-denominational, whether you're a casual reader of the Bible, whether you're a devout follower of Jesus Christ, what we all do is we read the word of God and then we interpret the word of God. We begin this process of, of marinating and stewing it over and we interpret the word of God and then we apply that interpretation our lives, whether it be the practical ways of living, like the rhythms and the harmonies that God calls us to, or whether it's, whether it's uh, just how God is revealing himself to us, how he's um, showing who he is in his character, we all interpret God's word. Now, we can, we can do our due diligence. We can pray and we can ask the Spirit to reveal, and we can study. We can study the scholars, which, which I do all the time. I'm always reading these geeky theology books to try to better understand the Scriptures. But even those guys who have wrestled with the Scriptures quite a bit, they are, they are interpreting the Scripture. It's a human interpretation. And then we, we align ourselves with different schools of thought about how the Bible is interpreted. You can be a Calvinist. You can be an Arminian. You can be uh, a Reformed in the Reformed school. You can be in the school of Oasian thought. I mean, there's all these different things, all these different interpretations of the Bible. And, and, and some, some are good. Some are, are based on solid scholarship. But we, humanly, we're still interpreting it. And when we take this interpretation, we gather it all up, we put it in a neat little box, and this becomes our theology. This is how we understand God. This is how we're to understand how this is all supposed to work out in the day-to-day life, and this is who we're believing who God is. It would seem to me here that Jonah has misinterpreted God's word. That he has got the word of God. God gave him this word. Say this to Nineveh. And we don't know if it was the complete word. Maybe he was just being rude and not telling them that they can actually repent and be saved. We don't quite know that, but he seems to have got it wrong. He has given the word of God a specific interpretation, how he thought it was going to play out, how he thought that God was going to work things out, and he is wrong. And see, he's not completely ignorant of who God is. He knows important God stuff. He knows that God is compassionate and God is gracious and slow to anger and he, how he loves deeply and he doesn't want anybody to be destroyed. He knows those things about God, but yet his interpretation of his prophecy, he gets it wrong. God would reveal himself in a way that's so far out of what Jonah was thinking that, that he should act according to the enemies of Israel that has just blown his mind. He's taken this human interpretation and he oopsed. For our church, there are ten there are ten hills that I'm willing to die on. There are ten biblical truths that I am willing to go to battle for and say, no, this is this is what we base our community of faith on in the areas of of faith. It's called our statement of faith. And we've adopted it from the E-Free Church. That doesn't make us an E-Free Church. It's just I really like the way that they had worded all of these things. And so and so sub, our topics like the Bible and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and 
and salvation. All of those things, we have very specific, um, very specific things that we believe about them. Those are the ten hills that I am willing to die on. If you disagree with any of those, then, then you can't be a partner at our church. You can attend our church. We, we don't mind you disagreeing, but to be a covenant partner, you have to agree with these ten tenets, these, these statements of faith about God, Bible, Jesus, Holy Spirit, all of those things. Those, those are our best human efforts to interpret the Word of God, to understand the Word of God as it's revealed to us in the Bible. We hold those truths very tightly, but we don't hold them arrogantly. We have to be very careful to understand that we don't understand everything that there is to understand, even about the things we have a pretty good understanding about. Let me say that again. We have to understand that we don't understand everything that there is to understand, even about the things that we have a pretty good understanding about. You got that? If you want, I'll send it out in an email. You can put that on the refrigerator. If we are to fully understand God, if we have him pinned down, nicely put into a box, either we're lying or we're not worshiping the God of the Bible. I have been teaching and preaching this idea of Uh, progressive sanctification, and I believe it's biblical. Progressive sanctification is this. Justification comes in a moment of time when when, uh, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Uh, Progressive sanctification is this process of us becoming more and more like Jesus, just a little bit every day. And I would argue that most people think that process is way too slow, thus the word progressive. We're getting a little bit closer every day to what it means, to what it look, looks like to live our lives like Jesus. But I want to challenge you with this, with this idea. There's something that may be called progressive. Revealing himself to us, I would hope, a little bit more every day. And we're understanding the scripture. And you should be in the scripture a little bit more every day. And you're being taught a little bit more every day. And you're understanding and you're growing in that. And so sometimes our theologies, they, they evolve. Okay, if you don't like the word evolve, our theologies mature They can deepen. Our understanding of who God is deepens. And so sometimes you may find yourself wrong. And God wants to show you and correct you. The the Spirit wants to show you and correct you where possibly you have been wrong. And so there's this progressiveness even to our theologies, our understanding of God. Listen, I want to encourage you. Hold on tightly Hold on tightly what God is teaching you about him, what he's revealing uh, to you about himself. Hold on to that with, with conviction, but don't hold on to it arrogantly. Like you have all the answers, it's your way or the highway, and God loves you best. Because you may one day find yourself looking a little foolish. I do believe that there are some very black and white things in the Bible. And for me, there's some very black and white things that those, those, those are the ten hills that I'm willing, I'm willing to die on. 
I'm, I'm willing to, to fight for those things. But I will never hold on to them arrogantly like I have all the answers. Leave room for the Holy Spirit to teach and to reveal and to remind and to convict and to disciple and to just open your heart to the, to the blessing and the, the uh, enormity, enormity of who God really is. That's an amazing, it's an amazing journey to be on. Hold tight to where you stand in your conviction, but don't hold on to them arrogantly. Now, as this story plays out, it says, uh, can we go back to that verse, Wes? As the story plays out, nope, back. There we go. Nope, back. That's what, there we go, back. As the story begins to play out, we see Jonah will pray. That's a very different prayer from when he was in the belly of the fish. He claims to have known what God was going to do all along. What's he say? He prayed, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? So for me, I got to go back to the beginning of the story because I'm thinking, did I miss something here? Did I miss something in chapter one? Is my version wrong? Is it, it, did I miss like a, a subtlety in the Hebrew or something like that? I don't know. So I'm going back and I'm looking and I don't see anything. I don't see any real reason that Jonah gives why he has run from God in the text anyway. I mean, I guess that he could have thought this all out and he could have thought it through and he could have come to the point where, where he's like, okay, God is a good God and it, it seems to me that he is going to show grace and mercy on the enemies of Israel. That he's probably going to do something that's unprecedented and save and have mercy on these brutal, brutal people. The men and the women and the children, they are all going to be saved. And I guess his thought process could have continually gone, gone on to say, you know, God is good, but I don't want to have any part of that. I don't want to have any part of God's grace or mercy. In fact, he is not going to use me as an instrument of mercy. And so he runs. I guess Jonah could have thought that. I'd like to think that I'm a self-proclaimed student of human nature. What it kind of means to be human. I, I, get, I get to kind of watch people all the time, and I get to kind of meet people all the time. And so I, I think sometimes, I, I like to think that I'm a student of human nature. And the fact that Jonah here is angry, white hot mad at God because of what he's doing, leads me to believe that he's feeling a little bit embarrassed. That he's feeling just a little bit foolish of how this is going to play out. And so he just blurts something out. To try to take the sting away. He blurts something out to just, I mean, he's so angry and he's so mad. And it seems that, that he's, he's bent on justifying himself. Justifying that, no, 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 God, I am not going to stand for the way that you're acting. To the enemies of Israel. And he just comes up with something that, that probably or maybe isn't even true. Just, just, to, to, just to, to poke at God. To poke at the person who maybe is now causing his embarrassment, embarrassment or feeling his feeling like a fool. I mean, could it be that here Jonah, the prophet, is lying to God? 
that he's actually lying? I mean, I mean, this would have to be unprecedented in, in human history. I mean, who really lies to God? I mean, none of us would ever lie to God, right? I mean, I mean, we might exaggerate to God a little, but that's not really lying. I mean, we're not like lying in our anger or lying in our cowardice. What's a little exaggeration here or there? I mean, to lie to God, okay, just so you know, and I'm not going to charge you for this one, God knows everything. So you really can't get away with the lie. It might make you feel a little better, but, but, but he knows everything. And do you know that as a believer of Jesus Christ, okay, when, when your mind and your heart and your desire, it all comes in line with the Spirit of God, and in that moment, that moment of realization that Jesus is Lord, do you know what happens to you? There, the, the Holy Spirit of God gets inside of you. We call it the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We write songs about the indwelling. It's a very cool word. It makes us feel real weird that, oh, God is inside of me. No, he indwells. Doesn't that sound much better? It makes you sound smart. The indwelling. And, and, and just so you know, the Holy Spirit, that he's, he's God. And so the indwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of you, as soon as that happens, he gets right to work. And he begins to transform and he begins to change and begins to convict and begins to sanctify he begins to disciple us and, dis- and um, he begins to remind us and he begins to correct us this is the work of the spirit of god that's in every believer every follower of jesus and that's an amazing mystery that's an amazing thing jesus follower you have the holy spirit of god living within you now follow me here because i'm getting to a point now have you ever thought about something and you wanted to do something right and you're thinking through you're wanting to do this and you're just kind of mulling it over and you're kind of it's just kind of marinating in the back of your mind and and then you have that that little still small voice or maybe it's just the sense that you have and that sense or that still small voice is telling you that might not be the best idea or maybe, maybe it's just coming right out and going, that's a dumb idea. You should not do that because that's going to get you in the trouble. But, but we, we, since we know, we know ourselves better than God, we begin to have a dialogue with that still small voice. We try to rationalize to that voice that it's really, it's not that bad. I mean, what we're doing isn't really that bad. And, 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 and so, and, and everybody else is doing it. And I'm not really going to make a habit of it. I mean, it's only going to be this one time, you know, again. And, and so it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's okay. I mean, besides, six times does not a habit make. So, so you're still good with that. But this still small voice just kind of keeps poking at you. You see, I believe that that voice is the voice of the Spirit of God within you because the Spirit of God, when it's indwelling within you, it goes right to work. It goes right to work. He goes right to work in our lives. And you just try to rationalize and minimize and go, no, 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 yes, no. Well, have you thought about this way, God? And, and you try to just kind of convince that still small voice. The definition of lying is this, a false statement made with deliberate intent to deceive to convey a false impression and an accurate statement. 
And so, Christian, how many times have you had that dialogue with that still, small voice trying to exaggerate the position? How many times have you had that dialogue with that still, small voice to try to minimize or rationalize? How many times have you just outright thought that you can get away with lying to God? You see, Jonah's story is our story, and our story is Jonah's story. You know what the best part is for me? <laughs> because, I mean, I've done this once with God and lying, but, you know, I repented, and so I'm good. And, and so um, what's, what's interesting for me, we get mad at God because he let us do it again. Like the last time that happened, we promised that we weren't going to do it again, and we asked God for help so that we would not do it again, and then he let us, he let me do it again. And we get mad at him for letting it happen again. Like, what's, what's, he's God, man. Why can't he just figure this out for me, and then I won't have to do that thing again? Am I the only one that's gotten mad at God because he let me sin again? Am I, am I, because if I am, just go home now, liars. <laughs> you, you know, and so we have that, we, we wrestle with that. Thank him for mercy and grace. You know, the wrath of God is a scary thing, but I think that the hum, like human, and thank God that human wrath is just human wrath, because if it was anything else but human wrath, we'd all be dead and God would probably be the first one to go. Amen. Yeah. And so for me, Jonah, his anger, um, it just shows that he's trying to fabricate this half-truth about the truths of God. And, he's, and, you know, and here's, the, here's the thing for me, and, and I understand what, what, kind of what's going on here. He's, he's, he's kind of mad at God about the Nineveh thing and saving all these people. But ultimately at the foundation, he's mad at God for being who God is. He is mad at God because God is loving and compassionate and compassionate and kindness and he's slow to anger and he doesn't want people to be destroyed he's mad at the very character of who god is that god that 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 i am is i am and he's aggravated with that how dare he show compassion to the enemies of israel how dare he show love to the enemies of Israel? People who skin people alive and put their skins on the wall and, and cut their heads off and put them on stakes and burn people alive. How dare you, God, show compassion and love to people like that? There's, there's the core of his anger. He, he believes that God should not be that big of a God. No, there's a tension between the love of God and the wrath of God. There's a tension between the mercy of God and the wrath of God. And there really should be a tension for us between those two things because they exist perfectly together. The wrath of God and the mercy of God exist perfectly together because they are, they are a God thing. There's a story in Exodus about Moses, and Moses wants to see the glory of God. And he asks him, hey, God, can I see your glory? And God says, well, yeah, we can do this, but I'm going to have to throw you in a rock and hide you because if you see my face, you'll explode, and that wouldn't be good. And, and, and so God passes by Moses in the rock as he's revealing his glory, and this is what the Lord says. 
And he passes in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So here we have this mix of the the grace and mercy of God and the divine justice and wrath of God. And and somehow they just just meld together well. In chapter 33 of Exodus, God says that, again, I will be gracious to who I will be gracious on and I will give mercy to those I choose to give mercy on. He doesn't say he's withholding anything from anyone. He just gets to choose who he will be gracious to. He just gets to choose who his mercy will be poured out upon. And there's, there should be a tension in there for us. In the book of Nahum, he writes this, and he's writing this about Nineveh. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. That doesn't sound good. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. Okay, this needs to get better for me. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to... Oh, now, we're, now, we're, now we're easing into it. I'm feeling better. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is, the, his way is in the whirlwind and the storm, and clouds are the dust of his feet. Again, we see here this, this joining of the wrath of God and the mercy of God. There's this, there's this divine being who is slow to anger, and compassionate, and loving, but yet he will not let the wicked off. The wicked will be deemed guilty, and they will be recipients of his divine justice. Here's the thing for me. We don't get to decide. We don't get to decide who is the recipient and who isn't. We don't get to choose. I'm going to put some mercy over there, mercy over there, not so much over there. Um, the, y'all need some wrath over here. I can just see it in your faces. And, and you know, you guys are going to get a little love over there. That's, that's, that's not our God. God is the one who chooses those things, where he gives his, his grace and his mercy, or where he chooses to bring justice and wrath. He's a jealous God. We don't like to talk that wrath stuff. That doesn't put people in the seats, man. That doesn't fill the joy box, I'm telling you. But you cannot have one without the other. In my life, here's what I've learned. I can speak about the wrath of God. But if I don't speak about the grace and mercy of God in that same conversation, that I am not giving people the full picture, that I'm pulling a Jonah hey, guess what? You're going to hell. (laughs) See ya. Yeah, nice. Hey, guess what? God loves you so much he doesn't want you to spend eternity away from him. You see the difference? I don't get to play God. My job is to share the full counsel of who God is. No one was ever scared into heaven. No one was ever threatened into heaven. No one ever becomes more and more like Jesus by threatening that they're going to hell. There is a darkness in the heart of Jonah right now. There's this religious darkness. He is so angry that God would be gracious to his enemies, to brutal, brutal people. 
But church, we are called to put all of that darkness aside and live and walk in the light that Jesus Christ has given us. To live and walk in the light that we are called to be because we have the indwelling of the Spirit and we are men and women of grace and mercy and it's been poured out upon us and we're to pour it out upon others. I want to leave you with this verse in Luke chapter um, chapter 6. It says this. These are the words of Jesus because they're written in red here. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. <clears throat> Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Okay, if we had to stop there, that would be tough enough. But he continues. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And the word everyone in the Greek means, work with me, everyone. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Okay, in, in, in the, what's, what's happening here is not... You know, hey, you know, you're, you're my friend. Can I borrow this? No. This is somebody stealing from you. And you know that they took it from you. If somebody takes from you, don't demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And if it stopped right there, that would be hard enough. But it continues on. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment from, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Okay, here, here's what that means. If somebody doesn't like you and they ask you for something and you know that they don't like you, God says, give them what they ask for. Uh, we can interpret that, find a happy medium, I guess, something we're comfortable with. That's what the Word of God says. And then it says, your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High because He, God, He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Jonah missed it. Jonah missed it. I want to encourage that we would be a church that could live like that. I mean, we could be nice to each other, have great fellowship, laugh and joke in there. But Monday morning when you're at work in office world and that person tweaks you one more time, instead of walking away, how would this look? What if Jonah lived this way? He, we might even not even read. He might even not have a whole book in the Bible. And Jonah did what God told him to do. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes your word is hard and sometimes it's 
hard to get our minds around. But Lord, I pray that you would continue to reveal yourself to us, what it looks like to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to be graceful and merciful like Christ. Lord, teach us how to do good to our enemies. Teach us how to to give to those who aren't going to give anything back. Teach us how to be unselfish. I want to thank you for your grace and mercy that you pour out upon us. Lord, I pray that, that even in our church that your Holy Spirit would continue to do the work in progressive sanctification and even teach us deeper meanings of your word and, and this, this idea of just expanding our intimacy with you in theology. Lord, I pray a blessing upon our church that, that we would walk deeply with you a little bit more every day. And that we would take that depth of spirit out into the world. Because that we, we know, Lord, we're, we're, a, we're a son of daughter of the Most High is things begin to change. Help us to see where you're working and to join you in that work. We love you, Lord. Thank you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.